Hey, and welcome to This Creative Life, conversations with creatives on creativity and how we can cultivate, inspire, and nourish our creative souls. In today's ep, I chat with best-selling author, writer, strategist, award-winning creativity coach, tarot reader, meditation teacher, podcaster, and all-round good person, Jericho Mandiver. Jericho's musings on introspection, perfectionism, cringe, social media, and liberating ourselves through creative audacity abound to leave you feeling inspired and ready to take on 2022 after recovering from a truly creatively challenging year that 2021 was. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. So Jericho, you've got a big story. Tell us a bit about yourself and, you know, when did you realize you wanted to live a creative life? Okay. Well, I'm a creative coach. I'm an author. I do consulting and have a writing background. And, you know, I don't think it ever like was a moment that I realized that I wanted to live a creative life. It was more just something that was always there. Like I really just feel like I incarnated in this life, like enjoying creativity in an introverted way and like a therapeutic alone time kind of way more than I enjoyed most other things so it was just a compulsion like it was just there and so for me it was more like what am I going to do with this how am I going to make life work and also be creative because I didn't want to let it go if that makes sense so you know when I was really little like I loved stories and like imagination and fantasy and writing and reading and yeah I can't remember a time when I wasn't doing that I've been really lucky in that way but it's it's there's been a few detours as well shall we say so when I kind of got to a point where I had finished uni I did like an honors degree I worked for a couple of years and still so I was still writing and mucking around I was like working in vintage shops and like having fun and then I was in my mid to late twenties and I started being like, oh, what am I going to do? And that's when I decided to go back to school and finish off my journalism major and get like a postgrad journalism degree. And so I did that because writing was always there. It came really naturally to me. And I thought it would be like the most fun and the most easy way to have a career. Um, but the more that, you know, you succeed in an industry and the higher up you go, the less creative it becomes or differently creative anyway. Like there's definitely an art to managing people and leading teams and having like a vision for a brand or a company. But I was less like fingers on keyboards actually writing myself. And that kind of was the one time in my life where I felt like, oh, this is actually a less creative life than the one that I'm used to and the one that I want. So I had to kind of pivot back towards being more creative myself rather than administratively allowing for other people's creativity to flourish, if that makes sense. So it's always just been there. And I'm very, very grateful to that, that it feels like it's part of who I am and I'm able to access it pretty intuitively. So I haven't had a lot of the struggles that I've seen a lot of other people have who have believed they're not creative. Although, isn't it interesting because we always have caveats on things like that. So as soon as I said that, I was like, well, you know, you've never considered yourself able to paint or make like textile art, for example, because I feel like I'm not patient. You know, I'm not good with my hands. I'm more good with ideas. So even as I say that, I can see that I do have some like creative prejudices against myself in terms of what I'm 
capable of, but it's purely just the things that I haven't actually tried. (laughs) But don't we all, like, there is always some form of creativity that we think we can't do or achieve or, and, and those things are what makes us not fully creative. There's always some kind of barrier in the sense of, what we deem as creative mm-hmm. and we always kind of go back to painting, right? Like I always hear that as a, you know, pillar of creativity of being able to paint and draw and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's kind of not that at all and I don't know yeah. why we get so hung up on feeling like the the actual tactile creating of colour and expression and whatever is limited to art and mm. painting and whatever when there are, so many other ways to be creative. Exactly. That's so true. And it's really interesting because if I think about the kinds of conversations that I have with friends and clients and the like about that, the thing that we think that we, you know, can't do is usually the thing that someone's just told us at some point. Like we've had a bad experience. Like in painting, as you said that, I remembered I was in school, like halfway through high school, and we were painting like a rainforest. Like it had to look like a photo of a rainforest that we took, Minamara Rainforest. And so we were like painting, everyone's having fun. And I'm just like really getting to the sensory, tactile, like nature of it. So the felt sense of like swirly, like oil paint. And, you know, it was like really um, like a visceral thing for me. And I wasn't really paying attention to like what I was actually doing because I was just enjoying like the swishy, like thickness. And um, and then someone, someone came around and was like, that doesn't look like anything. Like, is that supposed to be a tree? It just looks like a mush of like green colors. And I was like, oh, you know, and I kept going. Like I didn't actually let it stop me. But it's just little things like that that can stick in our head and make us say, you know, oh, I can't paint like in a literal technical way. Even though it's not, I can't, it's just, I was actually enjoying myself and having a really good time in this like sensory bubble like in my own flow that was very abstract expressionist really and if someone had to kind of go around the classroom and say what's the most interesting thing here would probably be the people that were doing more what I was doing the imperfect the very um sensorily motivated but I think I just think that that's where most of those ideas come from it's not actually something that we've even tested and proven to ourselves, it's just that we a haven't even tried so we've just assumed that we can't or someone's just made some kind of passive aggressive comment likely not even intentionally at a very young age and it's just stuck in our small brain and we've just kind of latched onto it because that's what we do and yeah it's it's a shame it's a shame but it's also very normal look I just just want to absolutely get behind you that on the uh, rainforest thing though because Mitamara rainforest is full of color and texture and lines and shapes and there's just so much going on for it and so when you were saying like what you were kind of painting like I could totally feel and see what you were probably painting because it's just lines of different colors like when you look ahead it's like mossy greens and light greens and kind of like caramel colors and like so I I get you I get you okay thank you well I I totally think the teacher kind of got it too because you're so right like that kind of terrain like it's so detailed and when you're giving kids like thick brushes and saying paint a rainforest you're really asking them to get into that experience you're not really saying make it look realistic so that's all part of the fun you know it's it 
like there are no rules and it's so sad that even though we all intellectually believe that as grown-ups we still make exceptions for ourselves because we're hard on ourselves and it's bullshit but it's also okay <laughs> like it is what it is yeah I fully believe that I fully believe that we get taught to do certain things certain ways because that means it's that if that makes sense I I know that when I was I did art and ceramics and photography all through school and you know never wanted to do any of the boring stuff didn't know what I wanted to do didn't do anything that was of substance and I always felt the same as well because I wasn't a technical painter I wasn't someone who totally got into the details I loved color and movement and like Ken Doan was a big inspiration for me and I just loved how like childlike and joyous and bright and happy that was and I know like I'll have conversations with other people about Ken Doan and they'll just be like yeah it looks like a children's painting and it's like but I think that's what I love about it is that age does not mean that you have to have like a certain style or anyway I personally I love Ken Doan's artwork and I just find it so joyous and so happy and art is art who cares anyway <laughs> I I couldn't agree more and I also love Kendo we have some Kendo yep. coasters yep. Um, on our coffee table oh love it yeah oh I'm jealous <laughs> I I uh as a part of I don't know if I told you but as a part of my inner child work that I was doing a couple of months ago I bought a whole bunch of my childhood books and I found like as we were talking about rainforest, I don't know if you remember Jeannie Baker. Yeah. All those beautiful, like where the forest meets the sea. And but I ended up finding a whole bunch of Kendone books. And I remember one very distinct book that I had at an art class. And I remember it was absolutely wrecked to the shit house. Great Aussie slang. Anyway, <laughs> and I remember loving it so much though, like always having it out with me. And I found it on eBay and actually found a signed copy. Wow. So I was just like, ah, so that was pretty rad. No, I, anyway. I love it. I love that idea. I think everybody should go on, you know, whatever website and find those books that they keep kind of coming back to. Oh, I had so much fun with that. Remember that? You know, like we need to kind of keep that flame alive, I think, and it's so nice to reconnect with those parts of ourselves. So like a typical multi-hyphenate, Man Gen, you wear so many hats and your list of qualifications is huge. You know, what led you to combine your lived experiences and become a creative coach? Yeah, it was not super intentional at first. I really was just reading tarot and I loved being a tarot reader, but I was kind of thinking maybe there's like more skills, there's more support I need to offer people, you know, because sometimes people come to tarot with all kinds of, you know, emotional turmoil. And so I was like, okay, maybe I should do counselling, maybe I should do coaching. And I went with coaching just because it was accessible, like for me, but it also felt like it had a kind of a, and obviously counselling is, is fairly similar. It's not like it's psychiatry, but it had a, a peer-to-peer kind of non-hierarchical approach, which I really liked. And it was all about empowering the client so like asking them questions what's their truth you know what did they want to do and so that just really spoke to kind of the nature of 
the type of tarot that I love doing. And so I started a coaching qualification and I really enjoyed it. And I was like, yeah, like this is great. So it was good to have those skills within tarot reading, but it also inspired me to actually just do coaching as well because not everyone likes tarot, you know. And so I just started coaching and I I really loved it. it. I just kind of fell in love with it and it felt like such a beautiful blank kind of white space because you can make it completely your own so you can incorporate tarot into coaching sessions if you want you can incorporate meditation you can do kind of more creative experiential type activities and exercises within that and so oh and and also just because of the nature of coaching as a the marketing side of coaching, I guess I'll say, it involves a lot of content creation because, you know, you've got to do, we don't have to, but a lot of people do blogging, newsletters, um, podcasts, the stuff that I was already doing as like a media professional. So I felt like, oh, this is like a way that I can actually be of service and like do this one-on-one work, but also like use the skills that I already have whether it's writing or tarot or meditation or, you know, somatic work or whatever to, you know, give people what they're kind of like seeking out of it and let it be bespoke and free flowing. And for me, it just on a, like a personal level, it just felt like a really great way to set up a business because I was like, wow, like I can do any kind of training or qualification from here on out. And as long as it relates to self understanding and actualization it's going to serve my clients so yeah it was just this kind of um perfect umbrella word to contain all the things that I do in one kind of in one word which like I didn't really have another word for (laughs) so yeah it just kind of like happened that way where one thing led to another and the next minute I was a coach and I did feel a little bit of resistance to the word at first, you know, as a lot of people do. But once I was doing it and just kind of made it not about me, you know, it was like, it's just an arbitrary word. It can can be anything, you know, and people do not necessarily always use that word. Coaches use all kinds of words, but they're still coaching. And so, yeah, it was really great because it personally allowed me to really fully for the first time in my life own like all the ways that I could help people by being myself and like living my best life rather than hiding behind writing or hiding behind tarot or, you know, hiding behind like one particular modality. I'm the central point in this axis now and those other things are are tools that I have, but like it's a business of me, if that makes sense. So, yeah, it all just kind of fitted together really easily and nicely in the end. So since you help your clients be more creative, live a more creative life, like outside of that work, you know, what do you do to create? What do you absolutely love creating? So more than anything, I love writing and that is such a big part of my work, but I also just really love it. And so journaling um, or writing poetry just for fun that really never sees the light of day um, is my number one. And I also really love collaging. And that's very much a childhood thing that I've like, I haven't really come back to so much as I never let go of, (laughs) but I just love collaging so much and scrapbooking and stuff like that. Yeah, that really lights me up. I also really love doodling and drawing. Doodling sounds, you know, like when you're doodling, it's just like 
a bunch of spirals. So it's it's drawing, but it's also doodling. <laughs> Just anything that I can kind of zone out with and use like textures or like gel pens and just like fun stuff like that and it's cool because it just gives me the space to think I'm the kind of person that I have to write my thoughts down and give myself the space to think in order to actually know how I feel like about things which is probably like a neurodivergent thing where you can't necessarily know in the moment you have to kind of process the entire day and record it and once I have that time and space then I kind of have a sense of like okay you know like I've I've got my resolution. I know where I stand on things. So, yeah, they're the main things. I also just love making playlists, collating or, like, messing around with graphics and stuff on the internet. I love that a lot. Um, I'm, I'm always tinkering with GIFs and looking into slightly at this point retro things like blingy and you know like design the design tools that like actually aren't design tools but are just like fun things that exist on the internet that you can make really colorful and express yourself with I love stuff like that um I don't really have right now photoshop and things like that so I just kind of go online and like give myself a kind of a very limited dated way of working and just like see what comes out of it and it's so much fun you can probably guess that from just the way that like the aesthetic that I have on Instagram nostalgic stuff like really makes me feel excited so stickers and just anything that feels really fun and easy because it's got a really low bar you know like anyone can just pick up a texture and start like doodling or collaging you know like a toddler can do so I love stuff like that because it just feels like you're giving yourself an excuse to kind of not do anything else if that makes sense so it's like a container where you can actually stop and not look at your phone or not do work, not do anything that feels productive because you're like, I'm collaging right now. So it's a, it's a great way for me to express myself, but it's also just a great way just to find some mindfulness and get into a bit more of a meditative state, especially in the moments where I don't want to just sit there and meditate. <laughs> so it's a great tool in that way. And like, I think we can agree going back to paint, like MS paint and all that kind of stuff, like we were forced to do really innovative things. I use innovative really lightly because we're just playing, but, you know, we have all of these tools now. We've got Canva and all that kind of stuff. And it life is so, like, life to be a creative is much easier than it was, you know, back 20, 30, 40 years ago where everything was so manual. And I think, you know, I love that kind of approach that you have because, it does take things back and you can kind of also get back to your inner child stuff and, you know, what feels good to you from that point as well. And, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I so agree. It's something about um, giving yourself less options that makes it really fun just to kind of like muck around and see what can come out of it. My favourite thing about Emma's Paint was that when you kind of have the circles, right, and they change colour, so they're rainbow, and you drag them around so it creates kind of like a rainbow-like caterpillar, that I could just spend hours doing that to this day. I'm going to go online and see That was MS the paint. modern day it's a sketch like, let's be honest. Yes. Like, it just that was our it's just sketch mm-hmm. <laughs> And it was just like it was, I remember like when you think about word art in MS uh, word and you're just like... <gasps> 
Do you remember being young and just being like rainbow text? Yeah. It's got a shadow and it's just like the height of technology and the height of just the all the options and opportunities. And I mean, we'll talk about this at some point, but obviously now you look back and think, ugh, like that was so dated. But I still feel like how many times did we smash the rainbow text with the shadow for our U4, U5 assignment title covers? I'm proudly owning Absolutely. that, right? That was the height <laughs> of that was the height of creativity. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so so kind of switching back a little bit, like what are some of the most common challenges you hear from creatives in your work as a creative coach? Okay. So a lot of things always come up and, well, not a lot really, but they're very similar themes. Self-sabotage, procrastination, avoidance, comparison, not starting something or quitting at the first hurdle. You know, the list goes on, but I kind of, in my experience, put them all under the umbrella of like the one thing, which you know what I'm going to say, perfectionism. <laughs> perfectionism is like, it's an ism like any other, you know, it's it's just as insidious as sexism, racism, ableism. It's a symptom of, of capitalism. And so our kind of fear around not being perfect, despite knowing that perfect does not exist is so irrational and frankly delusional but we still pursue perfect and that's the thing that gives us the most resistance guarantees that we'll never actually do the creative things that we want to do and essentially you know if I had to kind of summarize perfectionism and like you know, we can talk about where it comes from and all that stuff, but essentially it's the feeling of fear. Like it's just another word for just fucking scared, excuse my language, you know, because when we feel that we're not enough and that what we do somehow doesn't deserve to exist, despite, you know, looking at the work that a kid does, like a little toddler, where it's like a little round circle with two dots for eyes and you know, sticks for arms and legs and we go, yay, we put it on the fridge. When it comes to ourselves, somehow we reach a certain point in our life where we're like, oh, no, that time is over. Now I'm not worthy of anything unless I do it 100% perfect the first go. I refuse to give myself any space for mistakes or failures and that they are essential in the creative process you can never like learn to ride a bike if you don't fall off a bike you know and we all know that and yet here we are still trying to be perfect every day and I think it's just at this time in the world it's fueled by comparison predominantly because of the way that you know social media works and everybody's seeing the highlight reel and they're not seeing all the you know shit storms behind the scenes but I think think the reason that I am most passionate about perfectionism is because it's the difference between actually allowing oneself to, to make art and just never making it at all. And when I say art, I mean anything like a blog post, a doodle, a podcast, it doesn't matter. Each and every one of us are like born to express something. And perfectionism is the thing that's most likely to prevent us from ever allowing ourselves to do that. And that's why it's evil and a scam and it needs to be stamped out 
(laughs) When do you think it comes into play in our lives? But also when do you think it like becomes also not only an issue for when we are creating for others in order to get paid as creatives, but also when we're creating for ourselves, like that struggle to actually do something outside of the lines of work and then putting all of those fears onto just something that has is not meant to be shared, not meant to be for anyone else. Like that's, I know it's a huge loaded question, but like, how does this happen? Yeah. This is a really good question, Dee. Like, okay. So my theory on this is that we have like historically, we have a concept of like when childhood ends and when adolesc- adolescence begins and when adulthood begins in a way that's like pretty formal. Like we've probably never had that before. And what I kind of have observed in my own life and in the people that I work with and speak to is just that there's a kind of a, a self-consciousness that like turns on when we become teenagers when we're in that pubescent kind of stage where we you know as assigned female people will start realizing I'm a sexual object where assigned males will kind of think oh I have to um, perform a level of masculinity and if I'm if I don't I'll be in the life and so suddenly the stakes are incredibly high and to do things that seem like a kid is almost like, you know, a sin in that time period. You know that time period that's like that complete like um, year seven-ish, like middle school-ish phase of some girls are like shaving their legs and, you know, wearing makeup and like talking like little grown-ups and other girls are still playing with like horses you know there's like that awkward like not everyone's at that same level at the same time and the ones who aren't it's like what are you doing like that's for babies like this everything has this like gaze an outside kind of external male gaze but also just like the gaze of the world that we suddenly are so aware of that everything we do changes you know the way that we talk and walk and what we give ourselves permission to enjoy changes. So I think that that's kind of what it does look like at that very early stage um, where fear kind of kicks in and we realise that we're being perceived (laughs) and not everything we do is correct really kicks in, correcting the eyes of others. And then the, the second part, yeah, I think that once you're kind of out in the world and you've got that grown up label, it's another layer of that. So the way that we're being perceived is even stronger and the stakes are even higher. It's like, well, I have to work really hard in this job. I can't lose it because I don't want to end up homeless on the street. Like that's the way we think to ourselves. And even when it's totally irrational, we still have this kind of, um, everything is like fueled with danger or something. And our priorities are just so heavily geared towards labor. And at the same time, we're told, we don't have enough time, you know, and and we don't because we're putting it all into work. <laughs> but we're also being like fed just constant messaging saying, you know, there's a there's a finish line, whether it's like a short term finish line, like a vacation you can take if you work hard enough, or there's retirement, you know, as the ultimate finish line. Then you're allowed to have fun. Then you can be creative. But like right now, you have to 
do the things in the right order at the right time and the pressure is just like so intense that yeah I think we just we start really ingesting that and our concept of ourself with all of these labels by the time we're adults is like I'm a worker I'm a business owner I'm a mom I'm a whatever and just doing something for the sake of it purely for our own joy is not in our list of priorities anymore because we're at the bottom of that list you know working consuming caretaking paying rent or mortgage these are all things we put above ourselves you know it's hard enough just to like actually you know stop at the end of the day <laughs> and not work unpaid overtime let alone to actually you know give yourself that time to just do something that doesn't actually have any utility because we're told that everything should have a greater kind of purpose it should be, you know, for example, our hobbies should be side hustles. Like it's not enough to just like needle punch. You should put it on Etsy and sell it. You know, everything is like encouraged to be work. And play is kind of almost the enemy of work on like a very subconscious level. Like if that's the society that we live in, then the implicit message is that creativity for its own sake is actually bad and it's dangerous to feel like that you know it's really sad we're going to talk about play a bit more soon but like just as you were speaking I was thinking about because I totally feel the monetization the like pressure all the time like with my son catches um like with this podcast quite frankly I get asked pretty much every week you know when am I going to monetize the podcast and it's just like I don't one don't really know how but two like that is not the purpose of this yes it takes me time and energy and effort but this is the whole purpose of me doing something that is creative and for myself but I also just this was just a concept that I come up with and I guess it's I mean like come up in my head with but um I also think the pressure to monetize stuff is also like even though it's still I know this is getting a bit like deep with the capitalism and all that kind of crap but you know, I still feel like it's one of those things where if you do something, like if you do something creative or you can monetize it and then you can escape yes. to the corporate and you can live this creative life. And I think we fail to kind of see that it's, yes, we're still creating something, whether it's tangible or what, we're still doing something with our hands, but it's still at a price. Totally. It's still oh at God. a price for so many things. And it's like, you know, with the sun catches, for instance, like I've been thinking I really need to brand them. I really need to do this. And it's like those sun catches were born. Sorry, everyone's probably getting really sick of my sun catcher Never. story in this podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the sun catches were born out of the fact of like me creating something with my hands for the first time in years and purely just doing it for myself and in a really organic like problem-solving kind of way and I kind of look at it because I've got the first one I made just up here and I'm like, I can't, I can't sell you. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, I can't sell what that stands for. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And I think that's where we're all just kind of rushing into, you know, sell that, that creativity and those, you know, dreams of, working for yourself and stuff like that. And I feel like it still doesn't really solve a problem. And I can say that for myself of being a creative, 
It's like just because you live a creative life doesn't mean it solves all the creative problems, doesn't mean you really fully live a creative life. Yeah. You're creating for others and that is that like that comes at a price. So sorry, that was a total ramble, but I still feel like it's something we kind of forget a lot about. Yeah, no, I, I think that was all so, so valuable. I really, really agree hardcore and I feel like, you know, anything, whether it's, creative work, tarot reading, all the things that people, you know, ask people like you and me, like, how do you get into that? That's what I want to do. That can be just as stifling and soul-destroying as a corporate job if you have that perspective or that approach. You know, it's all about that approach, that why, like why are we doing it? It's not inherently going to like save you from feeling scared <laughs> or from working really hard. Like I saw a funny TikTok recently and it was like, I didn't want to work nine to five. And then it like jump cuts and it's like, now I work 24 <laughs> seven as a business owner. You know, it's like, it's not easier. There is no like grasping greener, like easy path to take. It's just like, what kind of struggle do you want to have? Do you want to have the struggle to be creative and express yourself and like live your truth? Or do you want to have just another kind of struggle? Like, and there's, there's no better or worse. It's just like, what's actually exciting to you really. And yeah, I just think that before we move on from the, from the capitalism discussion completely, you really nailed it. Like it's part of the, the culture of, of capitalism to sell you the idea that you can, doing certain things, escape from capitalism. They're selling the idea of escape. That's still a thing that's being sold. That's still a product. That's still a carrot that's being dangled. And there's just no guarantees that there is this, you know, wonderful life. It's like, um, you know, people that live that hashtag van life or they're like, you know, digital nomads and stuff like that. There's a really like super unglamorous tough side to that, that like you don't see. There, there, there is no place that you can get to where your stuff, whether it's being a workaholic, whether it's being a perfectionist and, you know, full of fear, where that stuff isn't going to follow you. You know, it's like so cliche, but it's the whole thing of wherever you go, there you are. So it's like, how, what, how can I approach this? What's my perspective on this? Because we're the only person that can make ourselves fulfilled or not. And the environment doesn't actually matter. You know, there's that whole um, phrase that they say in Buddhism, like before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Like you still have to live the same life and you still have to get up every day and wipe your butt. <laughs> no, nothing is going to like free you from that except death. <laughs> Look, it's all true. And I, I truly think that like I know with me, with my own journey, I knew that something was like a really big piece was missing of my life that, of, of just that creativity and joy and the play and meaning just meaning completely is probably the best word. Mm -hmm. Just the meaning of like, I'm doing the same shit every day. It feels like Groundhog Day. That's not to say that I have not felt that way about creating, being a creative now, that it's mm -hmm. the same shit every day in Groundhog Day. But there was something really fundamentally missing in my life where it was just, especially being a manifesting generator and just multi-passionate, everything like that. There was just something that it's like, there's a hole, there's a void something's not right. And that's where I decided to kind of do that exploration of 
actually following the creative path that I'd been denying myself for like 10, 15 years. So on that, I get it. But it's like, I I know I can truly say that when I escaped that corporate life, there were total things that I was like, oh, this is great. I don't have to deal with again. But it's like, it's just a whole new level of other problems and stuff that's mm-hmm. still like you still have to deal with. And like I completely like I, I'm all on the perfection train because I have always been that person. Like I want to totally blame the fact that I was meant to be a Virgo to make that even more <laughs> um, <laughs> to be to be like to make that more like of a thing because I am very structured and very organized. And if something's just out of place, it's like, oh well, this is all over. You know, mm-hmm. like can't do that. Can't if it's cluttered, whatever. Anyway, that's probably leading into other things. But you know, I I just this perfection thing, even when we are aware of it, it still just lingers, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's still just like, look, your troll dolls are a great example. Like they're just little trolls that just sit there with their cute little head and their beady eyes going, hey, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. bringing out the troll doll. By the way, can we just talk about your reels and how great they are? Oh. Like, they're hilarious. And I try not to be the stalker oh. on TikTok at 5 a.m. in the Stop morning going, hey, hey, that I'm like, uh, it's just, they crack, they crack me up. They're great. Thank you. Yeah, it's just fun. Like I, I didn't really think that, I, like I did a couple before and it was fun, but they were just so random. And then I did like two or three in, in a row and I was like oh this is actually so funny like it just it was hilarious to me to think about how especially people that know me like you would react to them and the idea of making people laugh I just like got so into it um but yeah I I couldn't agree more that meaning is exactly it because when you have hard days which you inevitably will you know the meaning is the thing that's going to get you through that is all the difference like having that north star and that deep devotion to something whether it's serving other people whether it's expressing your own creative truth like that's the defining characteristic and that's the thing that means that you can tolerate perfectionism and fear because you're going to do it anyway you know you're going to be like yeah I'm fucking scared but if I can help one person you know with this message today I know I'll feel good about myself and what I'm doing and so it's like Viktor Frankl and that idea of meaning it's 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 so not just this kind of happiness, you know, like when I think of happiness, I think, "Ah," but when I think of joy, I associate that really strongly with that meaning, that value system, because I think joy is for me anyway, it's not just like dancing through a meadow. It's that kind of uh, deep satisfaction with doing something that really means something to you. And Yes, you know, there'll be hard days, but they'll be so much easier by virtue of the fact that you're doing that thing that you love to do for something, for a reason. So that's so what it's all about. And yeah, you're just right on the money. Whilst we're talking about joy, and can we just say it's the best comeback word of the year? Like, I just love saying joy now. I just, it's the best word. With play, you talk a lot about play you know, what does play mean to you? And, you know, when like this kind of, kind of, this kind of, kind of, this Mm -hmm. kind of goes into the perfectionism area of like, when do we lose that concept of play Mm. in our lives as well? Like, Mm -hmm. I think we could probably echo the same conversation, but Mm. I play almost seems like it goes back to that childhood thing of like, you play in childhood. And when you're adult, you have to be serious and boring. And 
Plays for kids, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Plays for kids, yeah. Um, so there's this guy called Dr. Stuart Brown. He's one of the people that are really inspiring to me around play, um, but there's other ones as well and they're, they're all really interesting. Like there's these people who have devoted their lives to studying play. It's amazing. And his definition is like super brief. It's like a purposeless activity essentially, that we do to kind of express something or imagine, you know, something. And so it's just basically anything, any activity can be regarded as play if the greater, you know, culture would kind of look at it cynically and deem it purposeless or without that kind of utility. So it's not giving us money. It's not even necessarily giving an audience. Like it's not necessarily going to be seen by someone else. So there's no validation So it doesn't have a purpose. And when we live in a world that's like all about that, how does this validate me, make me richer, things like that, that's a very radical concept, you know. And so when I see, you know, kids play, like some kids have this kind of whole imagination like land where they're just like improvising together basically they're like in a little improv game and then other kids are just you know lining up toys and they're all about like you know order and they're not really so much spontaneous in how they like imagine it's more like following a script and it's the same with adults you know like when some people are like reading tarot they're really playing you know they might not be in that super serious stoic place of introspection it might just be like oh, this is fun. You know, even when we read like horoscopes on apps or in the newspaper, it's like, huh, you know, or even when we're in the shower and we're singing like anything, even meditation and yoga and like there's nothing to me that can't be play when we're kind of doing it for or because of that feeling of like joy and aliveness. And so I think that they're very intertwined, like play and joy because sometimes things like are really joyful and really meaningful to people and they don't seem that playful. So like a crossword, you know, those hard crosswords like in the paper or um, Sudoku, like that from an outside perspective just looks like a really frustrating, serious task. But there's a reason we do it. You know, it gives us something. There's this like getting lost in it. It's like it, it, it is meditative because we kind of lose our ego for a period of time. And then we get the pride and satisfaction when we finish like in the way that a little kid you know brings home a picture and says like look what I did today you know and half the time it's it's just like like I remember one year um for Christmas we did tie-dyeing in class and I gave my like tie-dye creation to my dad um for Christmas (laughs) and in retrospect it wasn't even like a tie-dyed pillowcase or a tie-dyed tea towel it was literally just a rag like it had torn edges it was just like the smallest little rag. <laughs> but when you're a kid, you're like, have a rag. <laughs> and it's like a masterpiece, you know. And so anyway, that that is all to say that play is something that doesn't actually seem to serve any purpose, but we want to do it. We're compelled. It's like our spirit has something to say, to express, or to get kind of lost in, and that's play. So I think that there's nothing, unless it's something like, I don't know, no, I was going to say, like, unless it's maybe like, you know, you're monitoring the stock market and you're a broker or something, but they probably see that as a big game. So even that, you know, it, play is is 
is our perspective and our feeling that like completely embodied feeling of aliveness when we're like in some kind of zone and that's what creativity is so I really see play and creativity as as totally synonymous whether it's like we're creative for a job or just for fun it's still play or at least it can be I love that (laughs) that was great I was actually thinking through that I think even play is just dreaming Mm -hmm. it's just the possibilities it doesn't need to come true it does like it doesn't need to come to fruition it's just like all those things that you could like do it's all the potential that you can achieve it's not just yeah I don't think it's static in the sense of just doing a little task where you're playing it's you know what I mean I just think it just goes so much further outwards Mm -hmm. it's so good oh I don't know we can talk about this all day your interests span so deeply. So, like, what are some of the ways that you refill your creative cup? Oh, so I really love going to the beach. That just is my place. And I really feel full when I'm there. And I also love being around friends, like certain loved ones. You know, I'm not like an extrovert social person but I have really beautiful like deep connections with the friends that I have and so I love that kind of space that you know you can enter into um I love playing with my dog and just being around my dog like that just makes me feel so inspired and like myself really I love going for walks and being in nature and again writing like it's just really my thing (laughs) even if it's kind of just an account of my day and like that's all but the the way that I typically journal um in my own kind of private life is super cathartic so it's just like straight automatic writing like without a second thought so it's just like blah 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 blah. and I feel so good when I finish like I feel like there's something in like pouring all that out that actually does fill my cup at the end of the day so if I had to pick one thing I would probably pick that or the beach Oh, look, it's too hard to pick one. I'm not going to let you do that. Thank you. Uh, What inspires you and your creations? I think it's not a thing, but like a feeling that inspires me is just like questioning, probing, being a contrarian. This is my Aquarius moon speaking and midheaven, but like being weird and being the person to like ask ask the questions that like other people aren't going to ask, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I think there's um, there's something in my nature that's just always been excited to be rebellious and, like, try different things. So when I see that represented, you know, like in music, popular culture, like characters and things like that, I really latch onto that. Like, I'm like, oh, yes, so exciting. And like, a, like an example that I can think of is Courtney Love. Like, I've always been like the biggest Hull fan and Courtney Love fan. And so is my sister. We've been like that since we were like 12. When you say like, oh, I really love Courtney Love to people, like divisive, you know, people are like, oh, you know, because she is just such a pariah socially, you know, and that just makes me love her even more. So when I see figures like that who are essentially being like burned at the stake for being weird and inconvenient, you know, and edgy, that just like makes me feel alive. Like I just love that. So I I look for that kind of feeling and obviously, you know, it's not like a required thing just to sit down and like journal or something. But if I guess I think about like impact and like big picture stuff, I think what inspires me is, is people who are just like 
truly on their own path and and doing things like in a way that you know it's like they say like if you're not offending some people you're not really doing anything right and that that really speaks to me <laughs> I love your focus on cringe mm. and like I know like truthfully it has helped me a lot with owning the fact that my chook walks around my house as she is now and I have goals. 10 hermit that's, crabs. That's goals. Like, you know, and it's just stuff like that because it's like, you know, I I love birds and everyone calls me the crazy bird lady. And it's I know these are like really little things, but it's that whole thing of like, well, that's me. Mm-hmm. And just accepting the fact that, hey, this shit, I love this shit. This shit makes me happy. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm doing evil things <laughs> I just love Absolutely. birds and I have hermit crabs anyway it's I think this applies to everybody because I think we just really lose sight on and I think it does definitely definitely go back to talking about the perfectionism and talking about play and being that little kid that can't be the little kid anymore mm. and have their own interests and have their own things and be really protective of that it's very much like if you're not living a certain life in a certain way for your certain age Mm -hmm. like well what are you doing like totally I know the the horror that like the looks that I get from some people when they're like like you're 36 and you have 10 hermit crabs but I'm like (laughs) (laughs) like who cares absolutely and and that is that stuff yeah so it's so much about them it's so much about them. And the thing about cringe is like there's a really good video essay on cringe by one of my favourite creators in like any sphere, ContraPoints, um, who is on YouTube, Natalie Wynn. And really, you know, when you break down cringe, it's the, it's the feeling that you get when you see someone who reminds you of you without the shame. You know what I mean? Someone who's actually like doing something and doesn't have the self-consciousness, doesn't have the perfectionism that you yourself have. And so that immediately breeds resentment and you want to distinguish yourself and separate yourself from that person because you're like, I'm not like you. I'm not like you. But the thing about cringe is when someone gives you that kind of look, it's because they are and they wish they had 10 Kermit crafts, you know, like that's what's so fascinating about how insidious perfectionism is, I guess, because we weaponize it against each other. We don't want to know or own certain things about ourselves because for whatever reason we think they're wrong. And we take that out on other people who don't think that there's anything wrong with them. We're punishing people for not being as self-loathing as we are. And that is just like so wrong. And it's 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 that kind of thing where you know, as a creative, you realize that like you can't please everybody anyway. (laughs) And so you kind of give up at a certain point. And I think that's the most liberating place that anyone can be in to be like, I'm going to get weird looks from some people because they're not my people. So fuck it, you know? And I I just think that that is, um, that audacity and that defiance is so important in the creative process because when your brain, when your troll is saying, oh, actually, like, I don't think you should do that because everyone's going to say you suck. You can be like, you can give it a comeback basically and be like, no, well, actually, do I even care what those people think? You know, just to remind yourself of like what's, what is what is actually true for you. Because, you know, when you're in school, you've kind of got this storyline that you have to follow where if like the bullies or like the popular kids wouldn't do something then you shouldn't do it like everyone's just trying to like follow the leader and fit in it's like a security in numbers thing because they're like scared little critters but that's an entirely different context and we're entirely different people at this stage of life and 
unfortunately, because of the ways our brain works, it just means that we have to work a little bit harder to undo and unlearn that stuff. But it's so not impossible. All it really is is practice. Because once you do it, once you have the fear and do it anyway, as they say, you're like, oh, that was literally so fun and nobody died. And it makes you want to do it again. Absolutely. You kind of just think like at the end of the day, it's also the joy that it brings to your life and the purpose and the meaning that it brings to your life. And anyway, before we go, even though I could keep going, but what's your number one piece of advice for creatives? Uh, big one okay. Big one, right? Well, I always say the same thing with the questions like this, which is it's not about you. Meaning, okay, so the, the way that that came to me, like I've, I've heard it a lot, but it just did not click. And then one day it really clicked. And it was, I was working at Girlboss, which at the time was a media company. And I was about to do a panel at a live like conference event where I was interviewing Esther Perel. And so of course I was just like pooping my pants with nerves. And then this other uh, woman came up, a psychologist, Dr. Lauren, um, who I really love. And we were great friends. She was on my previous podcast a lot. And I was like, oh, I'm so nervous. And she was just like, babe, like grabbed me by the shoulders and was like, it's not about you, you know? And it just felt, it's a kind of, it seems like maybe a harsh thing to hear, but it just felt so warm and firm and caring and just reality just set in. And I was like, oh my God, nothing that I do, if it is done, you know, in the service of people's evolution of their truth, of their self-discovery is ever about me. Like I'm just a messenger and a conduit. I could be anyone, you know, nobody cares what I'm wearing. Nobody cares what the background of the lighting looks like online. You know, none of that stuff matters. Like if I'm saying something that connects with someone and makes them feel a little bit more like, yeah, you know, I can do that. Or I really accept myself just as I am or whatever it is that they get out of it. Then like I've done my job and it's so worth it when I remember that to be a little bit nervous or to do something I've never done before and really suck at it and just let it be small and crappy. Because even in those moments when I think, oh my God, I'm I'm just doing this in like the lo-fi way. It's so not professional. I kind of check in with my values and meaning. And I think what I want for other people in order to help them be creative is to know that you can be as crap and as small and as messy as you want to be when you start, especially, but it also at any point, you know, just start. And so if I can't like live that truth for myself, then like I've got problems. So that's why when I hear it's not about you, it just kind of humbles me. And it reminds me that, yeah, like my, I I can just put my ego aside. And of course it's never going to fully happen because the perfectionism is always there. The trolls are always there, but it just really helps get out of my own way. And I think that if more of us could kind of remember that even if we say we embroider like funny slogans, you know, (laughs) and put them on Etsy, like if we're caught up in like how we're perceived, like am I cringy, you know, da-da-da, we're depriving other people of even if it's just a laugh, let alone if it's actually like a little bit of a perspective change or a kind of a positive benefit that we can offer them. So the kind of egoic selfish thing is to be absorbed by our own fear and it's much more you know generous and worthwhile and also it's going to bring us so much more meaning and joy if we can just as much as possible let that go and say it's not about me I'm just here to say the thing that I feel that I need to say 
and um, no one cares. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, people want to connect with you, but nobody has the time or energy to judge you because we know we're too busy judging ourselves. So that's why I love that slogan. I feel like it just says so much in so few words. I love that. What a what a way to end. I just I don't want this to end. Thank you so much for sharing always so openly and honestly and thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you. It's Thanks for coming here on the conversation. It's absolutely my pleasure. I adore you. I love this podcast. And I just think oh, it's such a as you said earlier, it's such a beautiful this podcast gift has been so um, that you give for me. and it's Every from such a place of love. So I'm so happy to be a part of it. Open, oh, thanks. Playful, totally leaving that in. Connected, totally oh my gosh, I tell you to leave it out. We feel called to create. Thank you so much for your support this year. Okay, back to the usual wrap up. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the love and leave a review. You can subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcast, or you can follow along on Spotify. You can find me sharing some good stuff over on Instagram at at thiscreativelife.podcast, along with more info about the podcast and any resources mentioned in this episode at thiscreativelife.com.au. Until next time, keep creating.